Listen, I get it. There are about a hundred different Bible study apps and guides out there, but I want to tell you about one that you may not have heard of yet, Yarrow. Yarrow offers beautifully designed inductive Bible studies and a digital app that guides you through scripture so that you can know what it says and understand what it means for your actual life. No matter where you're coming from or what season of life you're in, Yarrow is the Bible study guide that will help you unearth the truth of scripture so that it can take root in your heart and propel you deeper in your relationship with God. Go check out their first study, Known, which is all about your identity in Christ at yarrow.org. They are offering 10% off with the code JOURNEYWOMEN10. So go to yarrow.org and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN10 for 10% off and download the Yarrow app to study for free today. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we'll face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we are so excited to share a conversation with Dr. Stephen Wellam on the person of Christ. Dr. Wellam is a father of five, a professor of theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and the editor of the Southern Baptist Journal of Theology. His new book, The Person of Christ, An Introduction, is part of the Short Studies in Systematic Theology series by Crossway, which I know you guys have heard me rave about on here before. Friends, let me tell you, this conversation was so personally edifying to me. As I listened to Dr. Wellam, I grew in my knowledge of Christ and my love for him because of who he is and what he has done for us. All right, let's get on to my conversation with Dr. Stephen Wellam on the person of Christ. Dr. Wellam, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Well, it's a privilege to be with you and a joy to be with you. I have been so blessed by your recent work, The Person of Christ, an introduction, uh, which is actually part of a systematic theology series by Crossway, correct? That is correct. Yeah, Crossway uh, is doing a short version of every sort of topic in theology, and uh, this is one of that part of that series. Well, systematic theology has been such a help to me personally as I'm seeking to get a better grasp on what the whole Bible says about a particular topic. And I personally feel like there is no greater topic that we could devote our time to than the person of Christ. So thank you for making it accessible. I think all the listeners would find this to be so helpful. I was surprised. I'm reading it on PDF because it's not yet published at the time in which we're talking. I don't have a solid copy. And it was so potent. And yet, also very accessible to me as a mom of three young kids because it is kind of a bite-sized theology text. Would you say that? I didn't realize that until I got 11% through in just a few pages. Yeah, no, it, the purpose of that series is to make it accessible. So shorter, sometimes people aren't reading long works, uh, make it accessible, accurate, faithful, faithful to scripture, then in this case, faithful to our confessional standards and creeds and and give people a knowledge of who Jesus is. There's nothing more important. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to dive into that with you more today. But before we go there, could you just tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and where you're coming from? Sure. Yeah, right. Lots, lots to say there. But, um, you know, I'm a professor at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I've been here since uh, 1999. Oh, wow. The time is is uh, slipping by me quickly. 
and I teach in the area of systematic theology, and uh, I am married to my dear wife, uh, Karen. It's now this year, now starting our 36th year. That's amazing. I never would have thought that you guys are that advanced in your time of marriage. You look really young, so I'm like, that's incredible. We were married young, right out of college, and I was pretty young, and we have five children, and and pretty much grown children now because our youngest uh, is going to be 21 uh, in January of this month. And uh, and three of my boys, three boys, two girls, three of them are married and one just uh, had a new baby. So I'm now a grandfather. And um, I originally come from Canada. And uh, so you may hear a few few accents. Uh, oh, you diphthongs? Days <laughs> <laughs> and abouts and outs and this type of thing. <laughs> My wife is from upper state New York and went to school there. And uh, then we went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School to do my study. And, and I've pastored in South Dakota and taught in Vancouver, British Columbia, and then at Southern. So that's a little bit about, you know, me and my background and family and so on. I feel like it's an obvious question, but you have delved so deeply into studying the person of Christ. What is it that led you to that particular area of study? Well, interesting enough, um, I finished a work eventually with, with Crossway, a larger theological work in the foundations of, of evangelical theology in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on that for uh, about a decade. And my former professor at Trinity, John Feinberg, asked me to contribute that volume. And I really hadn't thought much of it. And I'm so thankful that he did. And, and so, so my focus on the person of Christ was due to me saying, okay, I'll write this volume, but I couldn't think of a greater subject. And it's allowed me to, I mean, the person of Christ connects to every area of theology, your whole doctrine of God, the whole Bible, uh, the work of salvation, Christ's work. So I have been privileged beyond uh, my wildest imagination to just spend concentrated time focusing on the person of Christ. Yeah, what a gift it was to me. I learned so much as I was reading your book. Why is it important for all people to question and consider who Jesus is, especially those of us who have grown up in the evangelical church? Right. Well, I mean, the the basic answer is uh, uh, the reason Jesus needs to be, must be uh, thought through and believed and trusted is because of who he is. Mm -hmm. He is, and then We'll get into this later, right? I mean, he is the eternal son of God who has uh, taken on our humanity. And there is only uh, one Lord and one Savior, and that's him. So, I mean, given who he is, given our need for salvation, given that he is our only hope, mm-hmm. absolutely essential to know him correctly. Uh, there's false Jesuses, so we need to know him according to Scripture. Mm. We have no Savior outside of him. And, and in the evangelical world, this is so, so important, not only for all those reasons, but sadly, there's such a lack of knowledge of who Jesus is in those who profess to know Christ. And the greatest evidence of this uh, is in the ongoing uh, Ligonier and uh, Lifeway State of Theology poll that uh, asks Various people, 3,000 or so people in the United States, but then it's broken down into evangelicals, those who identify with evangelicalism, you know, simple questions. And when you ask people, you know, what do you say, yes or no, whether Jesus is a great teacher and not God? 
God the Son, right? 30% of those who identify with evangelicals say yes to that. Hmm. Or, or 65% will, will affirm what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe or in the early church, the Arians, that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Well, no, Jesus is the eternal son of God who's t- become human, but 65% of evangelicals are confused. And in these polls, obviously polls are polls and people can get confused and make wrong answers and that. But I do think in our evangelical churches, it's showing such a lack of biblical and theological knowledge. And given who Jesus is, there's no no one more important. So we have to get him right. And we have to think carefully about scripture and the the church, what the church has said. Yeah. What are some of the building blocks that actually help us to understand Christ's identity and why he came? Yeah. In in, in the book, I discuss the building blocks and really tie that back to the Old Testament, right? So uh, Jesus does not come to us, you know, in a vacuum, right? He doesn't come to us, you know, just brand new in the New Testament. And, you know, suddenly there he is, right? It's built on the Old Testament, right? So you need all of scripture to explain who he is. You, Jesus comes within us within a larger biblical theological framework, right? The, the whole teaching of scripture. So the building blocks that are essential is, first of all, who God is. You'll never understand Christ apart from the God of Scripture. And obviously the two, you can't have the Son of God without the triune God and and the story of Scripture of why the incarnation, right? So you have to go back to Adam and Scripture goes back to Adam, the first Adam, the last Adam. But we have to know something about us as image bearers to even make sense of why the Son of God and how the Son of God can take on our humanity. He doesn't become an angel, He becomes an image bearer. Well, that's important, right? And uh, you have to understand the role of Adam, the role of us, what sin has done, the promised plan of God tied to the covenants of Scripture. God has promised a seed of the woman, a redeemer to come. And of course, that's foundational to understanding who he is, why he has taken on our humanity, what his work is all about and so on, and then particularly God's promises through the covenants. Those are the crucial building blocks so that when we open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are understandable now in terms of the Old Testament. You cannot understand the Jesus of the New Testament apart from the Old Testament, and so those are some of the crucial building blocks. Yeah, I've often heard that the Old Testament is kind of like basic math and the New Testament is like when you're moving on to like more difficult mathematical concepts like algebra, what I was just teaching my daughter, as I mentioned. Why is it important to know Jesus from the entire Bible? Right. Yeah, because we don't, Jesus isn't just a man of history. He is. He's not just a fact that uh, we say, oh, Jesus lived at this time and and this is what he said type of thing, is that he comes embedded in in the entire theology, right? So the whole Bible gives us a Christian view of the world, God's view of the world. Mm -hmm. We have to have uh, all that scripture says in terms of who God is, who we are, uh, God's plan. That's the framework. That's the way that we then understand who he is. And if we don't Uh, understand the whole Bible, then we'll have a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible, right? Right. So you have all kinds of Jesuses out there. You have a Jehovah's Witness Jesus. You have a Mormon Jesus. You have a Muslim Jesus. Those Jesuses are not 
placed in the teaching of scripture and the framework of scripture. They have, they're part of an alien theology or an alien worldview. And you'll never get the Jesus of the Bible unless you place Jesus within the whole of scripture, the entirety of scripture. Otherwise, he will not make sense and he'll not be who he truly is. Do you ever find yourself so busy that you can't find time to prioritize God's word? Dwell Bible app can help you out. With Dwell, I can listen to and meditate on the scriptures in the car, in the middle of the night, or while I'm making meals and tending to the needs of our household. Incorporating the Bible into everyday moments is so easy with Dwell. I am constantly using the playlists on walks or as I fall asleep to review the scripture that I have been memorizing. The soothing background music, the ability to select your preferred translation or narrator, the sleep timer, and the read-along feature with Dwell make it the most helpful Bible reading app on the market. Their newest release is called Dwell Daily, and it will help you immerse yourself in the Word, pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for 25% off. I wonder if some of the listeners are a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> because I think there might be uh, a realization that I have had many times like, wow, I may have some misconceptions about who Jesus is. And that's why it's so important that we study God's word so that we know who Jesus is and who he says he is. So what claims does Jesus make about himself? Can you help us understand who he is, Dr. Wellam? Yeah, I mean, starting right from the beginning of, of the Gospels, built on the Old Testament, right? Who does Jesus say he is? He says that he is the Son of God, right? I mean, that's the most basic sense, that he is the Son in relation to the Father. You cannot understand who Jesus is apart from his sonship and his sonship in relation to the Father. John 5, for instance, 16 and following, you know, he will see himself as the Son who can do nothing on his own, but whatever the Father does, and of course, whatever the Father does is create universes and sustain universes and do all these things. I mean, he does, right? So he sees himself as the son of the Father. Matthew 11, uh, 27 and following, we have that famous verse 28 or so, come to me, I'll give you rest. But prior to that, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son. Uh, only the son knows the father. I mean, you have now a claim to deity. He claims that he is the eternal son of God. And in his inauguration or his bringing in the kingdom, his forgiveness of sins, his doing of miracles, he displays that he is not only the Messiah from the Old Testament, that he is the eternal son who brings the very rule of God, the reign of God. He's God in himself, God the Son. And those are some of the claims that uh, come through over and over again. John 8, 58, right? Jesus says to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am, which takes on the very name of God upon himself. So Jesus sees himself, his claims in terms of his work, who he is, what he is doing, is that he is the eternal son in relation to the father who has come to this world and taken on our humanity in order to save us and to redeem us, to fulfill God's eternal plan. I mean, all of that are Jesus' claims 
regarding himself. And then you can look at the I am statements of John's gospel. You know, I am not only the Lord taking on the name of God, but I am the resurrection, the life. I am the bread of life. All of those go back to the Old Testament and speak of him as Messiah, the promised one, but also the one who is the Lord. He identifies with the Lord of the Old Testament, the God of creation and the God of Israel. And that is who he is, and that's his identity, and that's how he teaches himself to be. Well, I think everybody's fired up about wanting to know more about him. As I listen to you uh, reference those verses, my heart is warm. Where should we look to learn more about Jesus? And also, just to tag along, like, what is the joy in coming to know him more and more as you continue in your study? I mean, you're an expert, right? Like, and yet, is it still a joyous endeavor to learn more about Jesus, even knowing as much as you do? It certainly is a joy. And as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, it should not just be a sake of learning a bunch of facts, but you're knowing a real person, right? I mean, yes. it's just, you know, a, a man of history. He is the living Lord. He is the eternal son who's become flesh, who continues to uh, be who he is and, and live. And we know him as a living person. So the way that we come to know him, obviously, is through his word, right? He has given us a word revelation. He's given us scripture to know who he is. And, and that to grow in the knowledge of Christ, we have to know the scripture, right? We have to know the whole counsel of God. We have to know not just the gospels, but the Old Testament, all of the epistles, the entire uh, scripture, and we have to study, right? And we also, uh, we aren't just saying, obviously we're building on, on the New Testament and the Bible, but we're also reading those in the past, right? Historical theology is very, right. very important, where people have reflected upon scripture and uh, gained in their sort of understanding of, oh, yes, this is what Scripture says, and this is how it fits together. So reading excellent literature uh, all the way from the early church, whether it's, you know, Athanasius on the Incarnation or Cyril uh -huh. or the great confessional creeds, Chalcedon and so on, and all the way through the Middle Ages, people have reflected upon who Jesus is. Aquinas has many good Statements there, they're not easy, but uh, very, very important. The Reformation, the post-Reformation era, excellent literature. Uh, so we build on Scripture. There's no substitute to Scripture itself. Uh, yet we also stand on the shoulders of those who reflected upon Scripture and have thought through all that Scripture teaches. And that's how we will grow in our understanding. And it must be turned to then um, a living relationship trust, uh, obedience to Christ's word. Uh, he is real to fellowship with him, to prayer, to gather with the people of God. I mean, all of those are crucial in our growing and our knowledge of Christ. I'm really curious what you would say about this statement. Um, I have often said, and I've been corrected, that's one of, that's, this is where the question comes in, that uh, we ought to be women of the book. And I was corrected uh, by a mentor of mine who said, you know, we aren't people of the book, we're people of the person, of the person of Christ. Could you kind of offer your hot take on that? Yeah, we, we just have to be careful that we don't sort of bifurcate or dichotomize the book and the person. Obviously, they're different, right? Yet to know Christ as the person, we know him through his word, right? Yeah. Even thinking of... Uh, you know, the book is not Christ, but it's the means, it's God's communication 
to us. It's his revelation to us about who he is as the triune God in the face of Christ, right? So you even think of Christ's prophetic work, right? We speak of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Right. He is the prophet who teaches us. He teaches us from his word. So to know the Lord Jesus is to know his word, right? There's no, the word isn't him, but it's the means by which we come to know him. And as we take him at his word, we come into relationship with him and we fellowship with him. So you never separate the two, right? You can't have the person. We don't seek Jesus independent of scripture and his word and the preaching of that word. Uh, yet we don't just say, well, we've got the book and we don't then fellowship with a real person. No, the very communication is living and active and it leads us to a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. So we talked about this a little bit before I ask you that question, but is the Bible's presentation of Christ the end of Christological reflection? Yeah, well, I mean, it's what well, we would say with Scripture, right? It's our it's our final authority, right? Everything goes back to what Scripture says. But this really gets into the area of, of doing theology and systematic theology, right? We have the whole Bible, and you need— to understand how the whole Bible unfolds the plan of God centered in Christ, who Jesus is. And we've spoken a little bit about the need for uh, understanding the Old Testament, New Testament, to understand Christ properly. But that doesn't end our, our theological reflection, right? The very Bible that we read demands that we reflect and that we think, right? So theology in its best understanding is, is faith receiving what scripture says, uh, faith seeking understanding. So when we read passages and say, how is the eternal son, you know, tired? Uh, how is he eating? That demands reflection, right? The very passages that speak of him as the son from eternity, creator and Lord also says that he was conceived and he uh, was born and grew Luke 2:52 he grew in wisdom and stature faith now that demands reflection and mm -hmm. the very bible is forcing us in the proper sense of it to then say how do i put these pieces together and there's where the church uh has done so and and we have to follow carefully what uh, the church has done because people will put these truths together falsely. That's where we get false teachings and they will then come to wrong conclusions. So the Bible is our final authority, but it demands that we reflect upon it. We understand how the parts fit with the whole and the church then is so, so helpful. But the church, the church's reflection is always upon scripture, but we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. And especially in this area, because we have the creeds and confessions. Not every doctrinal area do we have a, a creed or confession. But in this case, as with the Trinity and the person of Christ, we have confessional standards that are so helpful in explaining and putting together what the Scripture teaches. So you need both in this regard, with Scripture always functioning as our final authority. I think your book is such an accessible way for those who might find themselves in my position a little bit intimidated about thinking about church history. Of course, many of us read the Apostles' Creed and things like that on a Sunday morning, but thinking about approaching some of those documents just makes me squeamish. I mean, I can barely 
read my Bible in the season that I'm in, Dr. Willem. <laughs> so uh, your book, though, was so accessible and you laid it out in such a, a, a way that you might be able to then take that uh, and then go forward into deeper study if you're if you're looking to do that. So I highly recommend it. Um, you also mentioned in your book that we need a Christology that is from above, not from below. Number one, I realized I'm using the term Christology and some listeners may not have uh, like a, a good understanding of what that is. Could you explain what Christology is and then why we need a Christology that's from above? Sure, yeah. Well, when we use the term Christology, it's like, any sort of discipline where you add ology onto it, right? Biology and and anthropology. So it comes from the Greek uh, word logos, which ultimately ties to rationale, study of, right? So Christology is just simply the study of who Jesus is, who Christ okay. is. And, and so we in theology will speak of Christology, both who he is and what he does, his person mm-hmm. and his work. And, and in the work, I, I really, when I use these terms, Christology, a study of Christ from above versus below, I'm really interacting with uh, the last 300, you know, almost 400 years of sort of Western thought that's impacted the church and society and culture. Hmm. Coming out of the Reformation era, so in the 1500s, you know, what we call the 16th century is basically the Reformation, and then you have your post-Reformation eras, 16th, 17th century, 18th century, and so on. There was a real departure. There were people who uh, began critic become critical of the Bible, and they began to, you know, try to combine critical studies uh, with the Bible, and they did what was called a Christology from below. Hmm. That simply meant, sometimes you'll see it as the quest for the historical Jesus. Like, who is Jesus, right? Is Jesus the Jesus of the Bible, or do we have to get behind the Bible to figure out who the real Jesus of history was? If you could take your time capsule, would you would you go back into the first century and see the Jesus described by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Or would you see some other kind of Jesus? And the critical scholars, you have people today, you know, in you know, famous people like Bart Ehrman and so on, who are these kind of continuation of these scholars. That kind of Christology is not the Jesus of the Bible. Christology from below is looking at Jesus through an uh, alternative and alien worldview grid. It's not following the theology of Scripture, the God of Scripture, what the Bible is. A theology from above is just simply saying we come to know Jesus by his revelation of himself. By the scripture as fully authoritative and true uh, and from a Christian theology that uh, is, is consistent and holds together. Otherwise, we're not going to have the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus's Christologies from below don't give you the Jesus of the Bible. They give you a Jesus that's reconstructed in terms of whatever the scholar says, and they give you an alternative Jesus. The Jesus from above follows what the scripture says, follows what Revelation says. And there, there's lots to reflect upon as he describes himself as the son of God who's become flesh, who's fully God, fully man, and so on. Are you looking to boost your protein intake in the new year? Many of us are not getting enough protein, especially at breakfast. So PrepDish wants to help you out. For the month of January, PrepDish is offering bonus protein boost meal plans when you sign up. 
This free bonus shows you how to quickly prep four protein-rich dinners and one breakfast to help you reach your protein goals. Each menu will have you covered for the whole week. You guys, these meals are super mouthwatering and delicious. They have slow cooker carnitas bowls, stuffed pepper soup, and a Swiss chard mushroom and goat cheese frittata. Just imagine coming home to a ready-for-you protein-rich meal to refuel after a long day at work. This is a limited time offer, so make sure to sign up before the end of January to get these free bonus meal plans. Head into your healthiest year yet, feeling confident that dinner is planned, prepped, and will sustain you for all the things you have going that day with PrepDish. Check it out and get a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com journey. Remember, for the month of January, anyone who signs up gets the Protein Boost Meal Plan bonus. Again, that's PrepDish.com journey for two weeks free plus bonus menus. If Christ is fully God and omniscient, why does he say that he doesn't know certain things? Right, right. Yeah, no, it's a crucial question. See, there's a good example of the same Bible is presenting in, in, in certain places and passages. Here's the eternal son of God. And as the eternal son of God, you think of, say, a John 1, you know, in the beginning was the word. And of course, word in John is the son of God. Uh, it is this word who's with God, right? Now it's speaking of triune relations with the Father, with God, who is God. Well, if he is God, God knows all things. <laughs> uh, there's nothing that God doesn't know. He knows the end from the beginning. Yet, then you have Jesus then say, I don't know certain things, right? Only the Father knows the end. So the very same Bible demands reflection, right? Demands understanding, demands mm-hmm. theological uh, integration, right? So it's not that we're leaving parts out. We have to then say we have to do justice to both of these truths. And and I think the simplest way, I mean, obviously we're dealing with very, very profound and difficult issues and you need to put a number of things in place. But uh, when we take all that scripture says, we would say that the son of God, who is the eternal son, the second person of the God, it is fully God, who shares with the father and the spirit all of the divine nature, so he's omniscient, yet he adds to himself, and this is crucial, right? In the incarnation, Jesus, the word became flesh. He adds a human nature. So the incarnation is an act of addition, right? He's adding a human nature and the son of God is able through that human nature to live a full human life. Yet at the heart of the Bible is the creator-creature distinction. What God is in himself is not what creatures are, but in adding a human nature, that human nature isn't made a divine nature. There's two natures in Christ. So the son of God now is always what he's been as the eternal son, but now he adds a second nature. And that second nature in that human nature, right? He is a a human body. He has a human soul. He has human mind, human emotions, human will. And the Son of God, through that humanity, Luke 2.52, he grows in wisdom. He grows in stature. So we have to account for the full humanity of Christ. So when he says he doesn't know certain things, I would say, and the church has said, that the Son of God is speaking in and through his humanity. And so that's why in that humanity... He is dependent upon the spirit. He receives revelation, yet he's not limited 
to that humanity. He is also what he's always been from eternity, the eternal son who's fully God and so on. So what we're doing is unpacking here. The word became flesh, two natures, keeping the natures distinct yet it's the Son of God through both natures that lives and acts and is our Redeemer. And so that's how we then work through that. But see, what I've tried to do is take what Scripture says, put the pieces together without leaving things out, right? And this is how the church has done theological reflection that accounts for the Jesus of the Bible and all that he says about himself. That really helps illuminate the phrase, he learned obedience. That's one that's always kind of stupefied me. I'm like, how did Jesus learn obedience when he's obviously perfectly obedient to the Father's will? The the answer to that is is going back to some of those building blocks (laughs) that we talked before, because uh, the learning obedience uniquely picks up the fact that he now, in order to redeem us, Uh, He must now take on our humanity, right? So Adam, who represented us as our coveted head and representative, took us all down in terms of his sin. We need another Adam, a greater Adam, a last Adam, uh, the second man to now undo what Adam did. And so he takes on our humanity and he obeys in that humanity. He obeys as our substitute as our representative for us. And the learning obedience is uniquely tied to his work, right? The son of God now becomes flesh. He adds to himself a human nature. In that humanity, he now acts as our redeemer. So the learning obedience is the only hope we have, right? In life and in death that he obeys for us and ultimately goes to the cross as a substitute for us. And so you have a very, so it really gets tied to uh, him as our mediator and he obeying in his humanity for us as our savior. So rich. If anybody's like me, I think you're realizing I have so much to learn. And that's a wonderful thing, right? This is eternity that you know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. There's so much to learn. That's why Christianity is not boring. Following Jesus is not boring. And yet I think on like the more pessimistic side, somebody also might feel like, man, if I have been following Jesus for this long and I have so many gaps in my understanding of who he is in a biblical sense. How do I even walk in obedience to the Great Commission and tell people what he has commanded and taught? Because I don't even feel like I know him. Like I just became a Christian when I'm listening to Dr. Wellam explain who Jesus is. So how do we share the gospel knowing that we still have so much to learn? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, what we have to always remember, right, is that we start uh, where we're at and we keep learning. And of course, the challenges, and you read the all of Scripture, particularly exhortation to the church, is, is that we are to grow in our understanding, grow in our knowledge, and we build step by step by step. None of us know it all. That's why we go back to Scripture. That's why we're involved in our local churches. Yes. That's why we're being taught the Word of God. We're filling our time with uh, Scripture as well as good books and and so on as we listening to podcasts like this and this type of thing. But I mean, we should, uh, as we um, think of uh, sharing the gospel with people, we 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 start from what what we know, right? And we start from the basics. 
Uh, we do know as Christians, right, the basics of the gospel. We should know that, and that's what we share with people. And there's a growing in those basics. And the growing in the basics, right, takes place over time. Yet we do know very clearly, and this is what we need to know ourselves and our churches, the basics of who, who God is, what sin is, the human problem, how Jesus is the solution and the only Savior and what he does for us. And those basics, I may not be able to delve into right away all the details. I'm still growing, right? As I think of these, writing these books, I put them down and say, boy, I don't even think I've scratched the surface wow. on the glory of Christ and so on. But we, we start from the basic essentials of the gospel, right? So that's why it's so crucial. There's there's certain truths that we need to ground into our bones type of thing and to think about and to share with others. And then there's the ongoing growth that takes place. And we shouldn't be discouraged that we don't know everything at the very beginning. What we should be encouraged to do then is you know, on a day by day, month by month, year by year, you know, continue to grow and to walk and to learn and to study. And we really need, that's why we really need to be involved in our local churches and not doing it by ourselves and everything. Absolutely. That's one of our resounding gongs here. So I appreciate you picking it up and hammering on it a bit. One question that I want to ask you that I didn't prepare you for, but you've You've done so well with all of my other impromptu questions that I can't help but ask. You know, I've heard some people talk about using his name versus using his title. Can you help us understand when we're talking about Jesus, what we mean when we say Jesus, what we mean when we're reading kind of the Pauline epistles and we see the title Christ, Jesus Christ, I feel like that's gotten muddy for me as I've tried to delve into deeper study. And I would love for you to just explain that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do have, in terms of Jesus, that would be his proper name, right? Yes. So we don't have the same as with us, with first names, last names, and so on. So he is Jesus, and he would have been, you know, seen as son of Joseph or so, usually in terms of the first century. But Jesus is his, his proper name, yet his identity as Jesus, obviously, he himself knows himself to be the son of God, right? So he is the eternal son to the father. Scripture will describe him then, particularly you mentioned Christ. I mean, that becomes really a title, right? It's really a Messiah. And even some of our newer English translations, the, the new NIV and so on, will even substitute Christ for Messiah so that it becomes now, a, a, you know, his whole name Messiah Jesus, or Jesus the Christ, or Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, as we think of him, all of those <laughs> are legitimate. So, as we call out to him, we cry out to him as Lord, right? Because his he is the Lord. Uh, we call to him as Jesus, right? As the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and it's not inappropriate to say just Jesus or to say Messiah Jesus or to say the Lord Jesus Christ. We're acknowledging who he is. And I don't think that we then have to say we only have to address him as Jesus or only as Christ or only as this. Right. Um, we address him the full range of scripture. Scripture gives us all kinds of ways of speaking of him, Paul's letters, you know, Christ Jesus and calling out to him as Lord and, and so on. But technically, right, his proper name would be Jesus, right? Uh, and we call out to him as, but in acknowledging him as the Lord, we're also the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. So I, I think we use all of that to address him as our Lord and Savior. 
I can hear one of my former pastors whom I love so much. He would always say at the end of his messages, look to Jesus even now. What does it mean to look to Jesus in faith and trust? And how might our listeners do that even now? Yeah, well, I mean, that is, that's crucial, right? That's, that's foundational. It's not just enough to talk about Jesus. We have to know him personally, right? Even as evangelicals, you know, we will say, well, you have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. That is so true, right? Because it's possible just simply to get a head knowledge and not to embrace him and to know him and to trust him. So how do we do that, right? Well, we take him at his word. There's no coming to know who he is and to grow in the knowledge of him apart from the word of God, right? So all of his promises, all that he says, we take that and we believe that, and then we put that into practice. And as we've said before, as we call out to him, right, as we live for him, he is a living person. Uh, he is not absent. I mean, obviously, his human nature, he's taken his humanity uh, apart from this world. He's ascended. He'll come back again in his second coming. Yet he, as the triune person, uh, is, is with us uniquely by the Spirit, but he is with us so that we call upon him in prayer and in devotion. Mm -hmm. And as we then take him at his word, we put it into practice in our daily lives as we think and as we obey and as we take a stand for him, as we proclaim his name, as we defend his name, even in the in the public square, as we hear interact with friends and coworkers and neighbors, as we share the hope that is in us. Right. I mean, that's how we are putting to practice what he says what we believe about him, what his promises are, and we are in a living relationship. So, you know, our time in prayer and devotion and gathering with the people of God, I mean, that's how we grow in trust and, and uh, continue to grow even more so. Mm. I love it so much. I think I spent a lot of time as a young believer focusing on all the things I wanted to change about myself. And even as you're describing uh, this practice of looking to Jesus and how that thereby changes us, it helps illuminate the fact that spending our time gazing upon him and growing in relationship with him is the most valuable way that we could spend our time, especially in the context of community, like you said. Well, I mean... <laughs> We can so focus on sort of the um, the do uh, sort of we're going to do this and we're going to transform ourselves. I mean, the truth of the matter is, I mean, all those things have their place. The truth of the matter is actually gazing upon Christ, receiving him by faith, reflecting upon who he is, putting it into practice, turning it into worship and obedience. That's what brings by God's grace our transformation simply by by taking him at his word and living it out. Uh, that will change our habits and that will change our affections, right? How do we overcome temptation? We look to Christ, right? We are living for his name. We know that he is with us. Um, and that's true of, you know, Father and, and Spirit as well, I mean, in terms of the triune God. But, uh, you know, when we're facing temptation, I know that he's with us and I want to please him that keeps us from temptation. I want to act rightly to my neighbor. I want to please him and I want to obey him and to proclaim him. That's how we ultimately grow in grace. It's going back to the central truths of the gospel and our relationship with the Lord Jesus and, and our growing knowledge of him. 
that always encourages me when I start to feel overwhelmed and like I have so much that I need to know before I open my mouth, which is a good thing to be slow to speak. But just remembering, let's just go back to the heart of the gospel and let's continue to press in there. So if the listeners are wanting to grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, what's one practical step that you would suggest they take? Well, I mean, grow in their understanding is, is first of all, commit to daily Bible reading, right? I mean, you know, really commit yourself to the Word of God. Uh, gather, you know, with, a, you know, faithful local church that's proclaiming yes. Christ, that's wanting to live for Him, putting it into practice. And then in the end, stepping out in daily life, right, as we get up in the morning that we are seeking to put Him first, to live for him, even in the hum, you know, the difficulties of life and challenges and everybody's at different stages and you're, you know, raising three young children and, and busyness there that we are doing so unto the Lord Jesus, right? We're doing for his glory and so on. I mean, that's how we are growing and day by day and, and then spending time, um, you know, if we have the time to grab a podcast and to pick up a book and to keep our mind focused, not just on the things of the world that we have to do, but to uh, to focus on him and then bring the truth of who he is to bear on the world. Mm-hmm. Man, I am just so grateful for your work and helping us do that. Um, one of the things that I ask every guest, Dr. Willem, just so we can get to know you a little bit better, and this doesn't have to necessarily be spiritual, though I love how you described the integration. The question is, what are your three simple joys? Yeah. Well, I mean, the three simple joys, and, and some of them will sound spiritual, but they're, they're, they're really true, is, is first of all, just my greatest joy, right, is that I know God, I've been saved by God's grace, right? And he has called me to himself and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that really, we have to come back to that over and over again. That's the greatest joy to know the true living God who made it for himself, right? And then I would say, um, you know, just the joy of being a husband, to be a father, now now a grandfather trying to figure out what, what to call myself. I mean, just, I mean, not everyone has that privilege of being a parent and and uh, even married, right? So there's there's different struggles there, but the Lord has enabled me to have that joy and uh, and that really has been over the years to raise children, to to see them grow and to see them go on with the Lord and so on. A great joy, and then and then just simply, I mean, to be called to uh, you know a sort of full time. We're all in the vocation of of the Lordship of Christ and serving him yet to be called to serve the church in a more direct manner to be in my local church, but to raise, teach seminary students to train another generation. I mean, that is, I can't think of a, of, of a greater joy that, that has, that can be tedious at times and, and writing is not easy, but the Lord uh, is given, you know, has, has, has given me great joy to be able to do that. Oh, bless the Lord. Well, the Journey Women podcast was really birthed from having a host of mentors in my own life and interfacing with other women who maybe didn't have the gift of having older people who are kind of pouring into them spiritually. And so one of the questions I like to ask so that we can just learn who's had an impact on you is, who has had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? Yeah, you know, there's so many people in your life that, uh, you know, impact you over the years, right? And it's hard to narrow it down. <laughs> been a, you know, a Christian parents that, that loved me and, you know, that's, that's a credible impact and took me to a local church that was faithful. Yeah. 
faithful pastor and so on. But, you know, the one person that I, I still uh, has so influenced my thinking and I still go back to it is um, a man named Francis Schaeffer. Mm. And I never met Francis Schaeffer. He had his ministry primarily uh, in, in Switzerland, 1955. It started, he died in 1984. Mm. There are a lot of different books, but he in my early Christian life really helped me to see the, the truth of scripture, the, the big picture of the Bible, the Christian theology, the Christian worldview to challenge me to put Christ as first and as Lord of my life. Uh, he had a phrase uh, being radicals for truth in the proper sense of it, to really stand for truth. And that impacted me greatly. And still to this day, I go back and, and am thankful for his works. I've listened to all of his tape catalogs and everything. So I would say, you know, obviously many, many people, but uh, Francis Schaeffer really stands out as, as a man that's influenced me greatly. That's definitely one of my simple joys is to take someone who I really uh, respect theologically and to see who has had an impact on them and then to try and go and kind of wrap my brain around some of their stuff. So thank you for that. It has just been such a joy to get to sit under your teaching. I really hope that the listeners will all pick up your book. I also hope just like a tiny plug in here too, that as they're looking through the book, one of the best helps to me as I've been studying systematic theology is to look up the scripture references which are so robust in your book. I am looking forward to going through it again. And I so enjoyed the opportunity to sit and learn from you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Journey Women podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's anytime we can talk about the Lord Jesus and, and Christian theology and so on is great. And, and I hope and, and pray that it'll be a benefit. I know your work is benefiting so many so many people and that we have ongoing and especially the times that we live that we are grounded in scripture and we live out as christians we're, we're the church right we're being the church uh and that christ's lordship is over every aspect of our life so that that would be my prayer in all of this yes thank you for encouraging us to look to him We pray that this song, The Beautiful Name of Jesus by Katie Cobbs and me, and the conversation that we share with Dr. Wellam moves you to know your Savior more and to love Him for who He is. If you want to access scripture references, quotes, or resources from my conversation with Dr. Wellam, you can find all of that over in the show notes on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. There you can also find previous episodes in this series, Knowing and Loving God. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios, you can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here this September.